The NFL's next generation has arrived. Last year, Juju Smith-Schuster rose up to become an undisputed talent in the league. One of the most impressive prospect profiles we've seen in recent memory. And if anyone in your dynasty league is losing faith in Juju Smith-Schuster, you could pretty much just accept whatever they're offering. Any chance to buy low on Juju Smith-Schuster, you take it. Especially going into a week where he won't even be playing. He's out with a concussion this week. So we have Juju, we have Chris Godwin, and to round out the next generation of alpha receivers, we have DJ Chark. And while box score radio is not good radio, and we rarely go through the box scores, DJ Chark's Week 11 performance is worth revisiting. Eight receptions for 104 yards and two touchdowns on 15 targets. From a different quarterback than he'd been accustomed to receiving passes from this season. Because the one unknown with DJ Charkas, would he produce at the same level with Nick Foles that he did with Gardner Minshew? And now we have our answer. New quarterback steps in, immediately feeds him 15 targets. DJ Chark is number six in the NFL in total target distance. So you know his quarterback respects him. And he's number seven in the league in average cushion which means defenders respect him and he has zero drops on the season zero drops zero drops now i believe drops matter drops are an indicator of a player's confidence and comfort level on the football field we saw when amari cooper was struggling he was leading the league in drops when he started squeezing the football consistently he became a wr1 in fantasy it just makes sense if you're struggling as an nfl wide receiver you will likely be dropping a significant number of passes. And we've seen that this year with Odell Beckham. Eight drops for Odell Beckham. That's number one in the NFL. The drops tell you he's struggling, but he's still an excellent receiver. You can be excellent and struggle simultaneously. It happens to every elite athlete. Ten years ago, there was talk that Roger Federer was washed. Ten years ago. Ten years ago and ten plus grand slams ago. It happens. And yet, Odell Beckham is right behind DJ Chark in total target distance. <laughs> wait, 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 what? Doesn't seem possible. Similar target distances, and yet, Odell Beckham scoring 12.3 fantasy points per game. DJ Chark, 18.1 fantasy points per game. How is that possible? Well, Odell Beckham only has one red zone reception. One red zone reception. Think about that. It's weird. It's one thing to have one touchdown. It's another thing to have one red zone reception, especially when your 26.9% target share is number six in the NFL. Is that because Odell Beckham Jr. is a bad red zone receiver? No, it's because he's been unlucky. It's that simple. He's getting separation. His 1.99 yards of separation at target is top 10 in the NFL. He's just not squeezing the football, and Baker Mayfield is not delivering quality targets. Odell Beckham's target quality rating of 5.9 is outside the top 45. But his target distance, his yards after the catch, and his target separation are all within the top 10 NFL receivers. So he's getting downfield, he's getting separation, and he's churning yards after every catch. Those are the quarterback-independent indicators of a wide receiver's quality. As it turns out, Odell Beckham's still good. OBJ still OBJ. He's the same player 
that posted three consecutive seasons with 90-plus receptions and 1,300 yards. That guy. It's pretty good. And I think Baker Mayfield's good. I just think the Browns have had one of the most difficult schedules in the league, and they have the easiest schedule for the remainder of the NFL season. When you go to the playerprofiler.com season ranks, playerprofiler.com forward slash player rankings, you can see our seasonal rankings. We show the schedule next to each player. And oh, by the way, we just reduced our prices for the rest of the year by close to 50%. So you can get access to our weekly rankings, seasonal rankings, dynasty rankings, and DFS lineup genius for $20 through the end of January. The schedule strength for Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry for the remainder of the season is as good as it gets. After Baker Mayfield, the next best schedule belongs to Jacoby Brissett and then Nick Foles. (laughs) So it's just going to keep getting better and better and better for DJ Chark for the remainder of the season. And at this point, everybody knows the Browns have a great schedule because as soon as Mike Clay tweets it, it's no longer news. So the Browns' schedule is plowed ground. Do not sell low on Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, and especially not Nick Chubb. Because while you like to see the Browns face defenses that allow a significant number of fantasy points, a challenging defense is not always a detriment to the passing game. It's more often a problem for the running back. So when you see Nick Chubb's schedule features Miami, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Arizona, Baltimore, and Week 17 against Cincinnati, that's tantalizing. You just wish Cincinnati and Baltimore were switched at the end of the season. Week 16 against Baltimore is a killer because we're trying to win our fantasy league. And most fantasy Super Bowls happen in Week 16, not Week 17. So the Browns' schedule isn't as good as it looks on paper because most strength of schedules include Week 17. Ours does not. On playerprofiler.com, we do not include Week 17 in our strength of schedule. So the Browns have the best strength of schedule even if you throw out that Week 17 game against Cincinnati. All Browns are a buy right now, especially Nick Chubb. Kareem Hunt's role is expanding, so the specter of underperformance is hovering over Nick Chubb and his fantasy value in seasonal leagues and dynasty, that's a buying opportunity, especially with this friendly upcoming schedule. But I would not buy Baker Mayfield or Jarvis Landry or Odell Beckham based on the schedule alone because a soft overall schedule does not always help the quarterback and the wide receiver. Miami, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati are anemic offenses, so the Browns won't need to score a lot of points to win those games. They'll likely be up in the second half. They'll be running the ball. They'll more likely be leaning on that positive game script in the second half rather than airing out the football. They'll more likely be taking the air out of the football in those games. So the strength of schedule data is more powerful and more predictive when you're forecasting running back production than quarterbacks and wide receivers. And so given that, there is not a strong case to move Odell Beckham into the top 10 dynasty receivers. We'll ask my guest today, Byron Lambert from Roster Watch. Roster Watch does a great job evaluating college prospects. So he knows young players as good as anybody. And he's in a lot of dynasty leagues. So we'll ask him, where do you have DJ Chark versus 
Odell Beckham. Because it may sound weird to say out loud, but DJ Chark is a more valuable dynasty asset than Odell Beckham Jr. Let me say that again. DJ Chark has more dynasty value than Odell Beckham. My face just went in five directions as I said that. But it's time to get real with Odell Beckham. He's past the age apex. He's now 27 years old. It's easier to turn a struggling career around if you're Amari Cooper at age 23 than if you're Odell Beckham at age 27. I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. He puts the drops behind him. His red zone usage moves back to the mean. And Odell Beckham becomes a wide receiver one in fantasy once more. We should see it in the second half of this season. But I can't make a case for moving Odell Beckham Jr. ahead of Stephon Diggs, ahead of Christian Kirk, DJ Moore, DJ Chark. He has too many years on those players who are outproducing him. And a soft schedule is not a magic bullet, especially for a wide receiver. And Odell isn't even close to DJ Chark at this point. We've moved DJ Chark well ahead of Odell Beckham. The question then becomes... When do you move DJ Chark ahead of Devontae Adams, ahead of Mike Evans, ahead of Tyreek Hill in Dynasty? That's a good question for Nate Liss. We should ask Nate Liss on the next Sonic Truth podcast. That will be dropping in four days. And it's instructive to go back and look at DJ Chark's 2018. Remember, DJ Chark, 14 receptions for 174 yards in 2018. DJ Chark is the reason why you zoom out. You don't zoom in on the current season. When you're evaluating players in a dynasty context, when you're answering the question, how talented is player X, you must zoom out. Most players do not produce as rookies. It is a rare treat when a player does perform at a high level, like a Kyler Murray or a Terry McLaurin or a Debo Samuel. Relish those rare feats and feel free to push those players as high up your dynasty board as they can possibly go. But when you look at players with exquisite prospect profiles that are not producing this year, remember DJ Chark. And I'm thinking first and foremost about Andy Isabella. Andy Isabella has 180 receiving yards in the season. He already has more receiving yards in 2019 than DJ Chark in 2018. DJ Chark is a buy-high candidate. Andy Isabella is a buy-low candidate. This is your buy window for Andy Isabella. On any given week, from now until the end of the season, Andy Isabella could break out all over the place, could go for 180 yards and a touchdown in that wide-open Arizona offense, and his dynasty buy window, boom, closes. Done. Over. You have Andy Isabella and Kyler Murray for the next three and a half years at a minimum, you are obligated to go chase that player. Chase down that dynasty owner and rip Andy Isabella from their grasp. It won't take much. He's done nothing. Just like DJ Chark did nothing all last season. But when you zoom out, Andy Isabella posted a 52.2% 97th percentile college dominator with an early breakout age at UMass. I know it was UMass. And he did not have a productive freshman season. So he was not one of these precocious producers at the college level. But he looks like Tyler Lockett. 
He was dynamic at the college level. UMass posted up Andy Isabella all over the formation. Gave him some carries at running back. Had him returning punts. Had him returning kicks. They just wanted the football in Andy Isabella's hands because when Andy Isabella has the football or Andy Isabella is thrown the football, Andy Isabella makes plays. The Cardinals drafted Andy Isabella over Hakeem Bustler for a reason. He runs a 4-3-1. A 4-3-1 with above-average burst and excellent agility. That's how a guy that stands 5-9 can have an average catch radius. If you're 5-9 and you have an average catch radius, you must be even more athletic than Tyler Lockett. So he is Tyler Lockett's equal in many ways. He was used like Tyler Lockett was used at Kansas State. And he was a similarly dominant producer with a similar athletic profile. And it took Tyler Lockett five years to break out in the NFL. Will it take Andy Isabella five years? No. I think he'll break out next year. Like If I were guessing, if this were for my life, I think Andy Isabella breaks out next year. Which is why I have standing offers out in every dynasty league to acquire Andy Isabella. Based on the DJ Chark corollary. But I don't have to wait for trade negotiations to be initiated to monetize my love for Andy Isabella because we have prediction strike. Go to the Andy Isabella profile on playerprofiler.com and right above his best comparable player, hello, it's obviously Tyler Lockett. You'll see invest in players on prediction strike. Click the strike and you can invest into Andy Isabella. And if he exceeds expectations, you make money. It's that simple. You know who the most popular players to purchase on Prediction Strike have been in the last week. Debo Samuel, DJ Moore, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, no surprise there, and Odell Beckham Jr. The market is calling the bottom on Odell Beckham Jr. This could be the week OBJ starts squeezing the football in the red zone. And if you agree, then you'll go to PredictionStrike.com, enter the promo code UNDERWORLD, and invest in Odell Beckham. And do yourself a favor and add some Andy Isabella to your portfolio as well. There are so many intriguing sports products that we don't have time to talk about them all. This is a fun, innovative time to be a sports fan with a computer and an internet connection. Because you can also go to monkeyknifefight.com. And if you listen to the First Mover podcast, you already know what I'm going to say. You already know who you need to play on Monkey Knife Fight this week. It's The most straightforward week we've ever had on Monkey Knife Fight. Enter the promo code UNDERWORLD. You're going straight to the Touchdown Dance Contest. You're playing McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas. It's that simple. It's that easy. The Saints target distribution has been tightly consolidated around Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. And you get to run it back with the best non-quarterback skill position player in the sport. That's right. Christian McCaffrey, even though he's a running back, is better than any receiver in the NFL right now. He's even better than DJ Chark! Let's see if Byron Lambert agrees. It's time to talk to my friend from Roster Watch. Be sure to follow him at Roster Watch on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. The Maiden Voyage of Byron Lambert from Roster Watch. You can hear him on Sirius XM Saturdays, 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings, 10 a.m., as well as on the Roster Watch podcast on Apple Podcasts. Just type in Roster Watch Byron Lambert. Talk to me. 
Uh, thanks for having me on, Matt. We really like what you what you do. And like Dan Quinn, I'm fired up to be here, man. That was a hell of an introduction. I nailed it. <laughs> Couldn't have drawn it up any better. <laughs> Is Christian McCaffrey essentially Marshall Falk, a modern-day Marshall Falk? Yes. I left Panthers training camp this summer, and I immediately – I called Alex, and I said – my my co-founder at roster watch i called him i said christian mccaffrey is hands down not only the best player in fantasy but i've been to over 40 training camps in the last four years uh, across the country and christian mccaffrey is hands down the best player i've seen at any training camp across the entire nfl over that span and what really stuck out to me about mccaffrey is that he would be a pro bowl wide receiver matt he's that damn good so yeah, I mean, he is the Marshall Falk. I think that's a great, a really great comparison for Christian McCaffrey. He is a Swiss Army knife, and not the power runner necessarily that somebody like a Ladanian Tomlinson was, but it looks like he's about to eclipse that epic fantasy season that Ladanian Tomlinson produced years ago. And I mean, Christian McCaffrey going down possibly is the all-time you know season in modern fantasy history. Yeah, he runs a four four five, but he's been getting faster and stronger and faster and stronger. When you hit those quads, dude, he's big. Like Christian McCaffrey's been hitting those quads, you get more explosive. That's how that works. When you add muscle and flexibility, you add speed, burst, and agility to an already impressive athletic profile. He's big. I mean, that was the other thing that stuck out to me. And again, this is a guy that we've seen live in multiple settings. We saw him, you know, live at the combine uh, when he was coming out. And we really like to check out the bodies on these running backs. We like to see who's got the skinny legs. We have the Darren McFadden rule at Roster Watch. We don't want any any skinny little chicken legs on our running backs. So we're always on the lookout for those things. And McCaffrey was always a well proportioned build, but you know, he was a guy you definitely thought more of as like, you know. A, a Reggie Bush type player coming out. And when I saw him at training camp this year, I was like, damn, that dude had his second puberty. His legs are thick as tree trunks. He's a big 210, you know, pounder. He's a, he's a big solid running back that uh, certainly is cut out to take the pounding in the NFL. Ezekiel Elliott going in the other direction, right? We thought that he would compete with Christian McCaffrey to be the number one running back in standard leagues, standard, standard leagues, standard leagues. But he's not catching passes anymore. He's regressing. What the hell's happening? The offense has changed a little bit. It's morphed. I mean, missing training camp, it was a big deal for Zeke Elliott. To me, that was a problem. The offense has changed. It's become a little more of a Dak Prescott offense this year. We've really gotten to see the full-blown emergence of Amari Cooper. That demands a lot of attention on that offense. And I'll tell you what the big problem with Zeke Elliott is, Matt. Did you ever doubt Amari Cooper, by the way? Did you ever doubt? There were dark days for Amari Cooper, man. Yes. I mean, you can't look the number one thing when you're scouting a wide receiver. He's got to be able to catch the damn ball. I mean, that is the number one thing that the receiver has to do. It's got to be the number one thing you look for when you're scouting. If a guy drops the football, that's bad for a wide receiver. And he had a horrible drop rate in Oakland. But a lot of these players, man, they just hate playing out there. It just feels like these guys come from the SEC. They get shipped out to asylum in Oakland. And they go off the reservation, and I, I just feel like Amari Cooper's had the life breathed back into him, coming back somewhere like Dallas. And, you know, in some ways, he's still very much the same player, kind of a boom-bust guy, but it's just we're getting the best version of Amari Cooper 
here in Dallas. So, you know, that's had a, had a big effect on, on, uh, you know, maybe a, this being a Zeke centric offense. The other thing I would say though, Matt, the big problem with Zeke Elliott is his schedule the rest of the way. He's got new England this week, then Buffalo next week. And then the fantasy playoffs for Zeke Elliott are the bears, the Rams and the Eagles. What? That's a problem, man. Oh, shit. Oh man. A lot of trade deadlines are expiring though. Ezekiel Elliott owners better get to work before the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, that's that's worrisome. I certainly think that if you've had the opportunity to maybe trade up for even somebody like a, a – I saw a one-for-one one Saquon Barkley-Zeke Elliott trade coming across our Twitter feed this morning. I was like, you know what? Uh, typically, we hate those one-for-one – uh, symmetrical trades that are you know within the the same position like that. Yeah, just say no to lateral moves. If you're going to make a move, do it with the goal of strategically improving your team. The lateral trades are typically fantasy masturbation. But in that case, what you're doing is you're looking at the schedule and then you're gambling on Saquon Barkley returning to full health. Yeah, exactly. I just think that if that comes across my desk and I look at it, I say, boy, this is an unusual trade. And I typically just stay away from these because they're nonsensical. But in this situation, man, I got two players of similar value and I like Barkley's schedule, you know, noticeably more than what I just reeled off there for Zeke. That's a real problem. The Patriots, Bills, Bears, Rams and Eagles to wrap up the season, the fantasy season for Zeke Elliott. It has to be the worst schedule for a running back, just stifling defense after stifling defense. As a running back, you don't want to face pass-funnel defenses. They're just walling off the run game and saying, hey, you got to throw on us. And that's great for Amari Cooper. It's great for Michael Gallup, right? Michael Gallup looks good. How good is Michael Gallup? Good to very good. Certainly outperformed my pre-NFL draft evaluation on him. I mean, the tape at Colorado State was good. Just wasn't blown away at the senior bowl. But, you know, kind of a guy like DJ Chark, a little bit of a maybe a slippery speed guy that – um, not as getting in and out of cuts maybe wasn't there. That's what tends to pop in live settings like the senior bowl. Some guy who can really get in and out of cuts. Those are just a little bit just smooth, fast players in Gallup and Chark, and they've uh, both turned out really, really well. So, yeah, I would say Michael Gallup is a good to very good player who's landed in a terrific situation for his skill set. Yeah, he runs a 4-5, so he's not blazing fast, but he's operating as a field stretcher in that offense, and he's successful. He's just above average with straight line speed, just above average burst. He gets down the field, though, man. There's something about his, the, 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 the way he's, the way he's, but, it, but on the football field, the way he strides and the way he moves, he can be effective in the deeper quadrants of the football field without having the timed speed necessarily it's official like he's good he reminds me of calvin ridley who would you rather have if you were starting a franchise right now would you rather have calvin ridley or michael gallup calvin ridley calvin ridley is an exceptional route runner of the keenan allen amari cooper variety that can just uncover and separate Versus anybody, and I mean, he blew me away when I was at Falcons training camp this summer. So if I'm an NFL executive building a roster and I got a gun to head, I have to choose between those two. I'm pulling the trigger on. Well, I didn't say gun to head. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> I just said if you were starting a franchise, <laughs> Matt, I'm pulling the trigger on Calvin Ridley. But in Dynasty, I think it's a different story, man. 
Byron, put the gun down. <laughs> Battery's dead on both megaphones. Just a catastrophic fail by the Podfather today. <laughs> yeah, but uh, in, in any dynasty situation, I think you'd have to definitely lean towards Michael Gallup over Ridley just based on the future of the quarterback situation. Well, that's right. And Gallup's a little younger, even though Gallup did transfer to Colorado State from a junior college. Even then, he was still able to come out before Calvin Ridley because Calvin Ridley was a freshman at Alabama at age 20, which is part of the reason why he's so refined, but he's just been continuing to develop. And I think Calvin Ridley heading into week 11 was a strong buy, particularly in Dynasty, but he finally erupted and gave fantasy owners that week that they were expecting more of this season. I think we're going to see more of that, especially without Mohamed Sanu, without Austin Hooper, instead of thinking about ways that fringe players can command targets, spin your wheels thinking about the ceiling for Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley on a weekly basis. It's exciting. Well, Calvin Ridley can win you the week. And if you're going to split hairs, those are the kind of players you want to get in your lineup. And to your point, Julio Jones takes a boatload of attention off of him. And look, Calvin Ridley was a strong buy the second that Mohamed Sanu got shipped off. Because as much as I thought he looked like the number two in Atlanta when I was at training camp, all the insiders we trusted there just said, hey, this is still just bottom line, a 2A, 2B situation with Sanu and Ridley. It's just the way that it is. So the minute Sanu went out the door, we knew it was wheels up for Ridley big time down the stretch. Wheels up, baby! <laughs> if you couldn't trade for one of the you know, big-name guys down the stretch. Ridley was a sneaky player to get in on, and then as the minute Hooper goes down, all of a sudden, I mean, like you said, that ceiling is just – the ceiling's – he's got a Ooh. Julio Jones-type ceiling in, a, in any given week there. So I'm with you, man. If you've got Calvin Ridley, you're feeling very, very good about it the rest of the way. He was priced down in the mid-5,000s on DraftKings and even on FanDuel. I mean, he was so inexpensive on FanDuel, especially last week. Loved – in, but only in hindsight that I, I just wish that was my one regret from last week that I was not touting Calvin Ridley harder. I'll make up for it by over touting him now and then he'll disappoint and I'll just be fucked every which way with Calvin Ridley. Have you been which player has been the most difficult for you to project on a weekly basis this season? He just keeps zigging when you're zagging. For a while, it felt like it was Curtis Samuel. I mean, losing Cam Newton just feel like it really submarine, you know, his value on any consistent basis. Uh, Tevin Coleman's been a little bit tricky lately. Yes, Tevin Coleman. What happened last week, Tevin? What the hell happened, Byron? It was painful. Well, that game script got... Is it possible he's just not very good? Never forget, it's a Shanahan running back by committee and... Shenanigans? Shanahanigans? Yeah, I mean, his shenanigans are cruel and tragic. Which makes them not shenanigans at all, really. Evil shenanigans. I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans. <clears throat> hey, Farva, what's the name of that restaurant you like with all the goofy shit on the walls and the mozzarella sticks? You mean shenanigans? No! Oh. You're talking about shenanigans, right? Put those away! You know, the big problem was on paper is that was a game where the 49ers at home were favored to win big with a terrific matchup for their fantasy running backs. You say, okay, 
we're going to 49ers are going to get up and then Tevin Coleman's just going to hammer it on these idiots. A great matchup for fantasy football, but you know, Arizona comes out, punches them in the mouth, flips the game script on them. And you know, there, there you go, man, that situation evaporated quickly. It was a Debo day. How good is Debo Samuel? Very, very, very good. I mean, so much like Golden Tate, but even better. Like a big, pumped-up Golden Tate. I love that. And better right out of the box, you know. I mean, Debo Samuel, he's an animal. An animal is so physical. So he's that guy you talked about who is quick out of his breaks, but also, like Michael Gallup, a smooth route runner. So he's got it all. He's got the size and the quickness and the explosiveness after the catch that you love from Golden Tate. What's not to love about this guy, man? There's not much. I mean, the only thing you could argue is you like a little bit of a maybe bigger frame. You know, bigger and, frame? But, 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 I mean, look, he plays big. He plays big. And he, you, he wouldn't be able to move the way he does if he was much bigger. So he's a perfect wide receiver, uh, you know, for, for the way that Shanahan's using him. I mean, Debo Samuel is a, just a terrific dynasty own. If I'm in a barroom brawl, He's one of the few NFL wide receivers I would pick first to be on my team. He's a tough dude. And I mean, Shanahan wants to run a physical offense. And that's a physical team in San Francisco right now. So uh, Debo Samuel, he really fits the mold. In Dynasty, Christian Kirk is actually younger. And he has been surprisingly productive. Not for me. Anyone that watched him at Texas A&M and saw him go over 1,000 yards in his true freshman season knew that Christian Kirk was going to pop in the NFL and pop quickly, and he has. But if you're starting a franchise today, no guns, Debo Samuel or Christian Kirk? As far as a talent evaluation, I think it's essentially a toss-up between Christian Kirk and Debo Samuel. Pretty hard to argue with what we've seen out of Debo Samuel recently, though. I mean, I think I might have to pick Debo Samuel at the moment, Matt. Why not? Debo Samuel looks the part of a true NFL alpha. He really does. Christian Kirk is best deployed as a 1B because he doesn't have that physical outside receiver prototype that you'd like to see from your number one. And that's what you're seeing with Calvin Ridley, too. As great of a route runner as he is, he's 190 pounds. And he's best deployed in a system where Julio Jones is on the other side. That optimizes his abilities. And the same is true with Christian Kirk. It's nice to see Christian Kirk have the cover of a Larry Fitzgerald. I'd be interested to see what he can do as the lone alpha in that passing game. And it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the years ahead with Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella. Can Hakeem Bustler be that guy in the future, or is that never going to happen? It's hard to imagine that happening. (laughs) Very difficult to imagine that happening. Can you believe some people had him as their number one wide receiver in the draft? No! It's ridiculous! I mean, how preposterous was that? He redshirted in his freshman year. Compare that to Christian Kirk, who put up 1,000 yards in his freshman year. Meanwhile, Hakeem Bustler was redshirting. And then, in peak form at the college level, he couldn't outproduce Alan Lazard. So he had to have the Iowa State offense to himself in order to finally break out at the college level on fluky yards after the catch plays, I might add. Get out of here, man. Get out of here. Bustler was a guy I had ranked behind even, you know, 
somebody like Kelvin Harmon. Of course. Is Kelvin Harmon good? I think so, man. I think he is. I think so. I mean, he didn't have the athletic profile that folks wanted, but he was a slick wide receiver coming out. He's like he he's a good wide receiver is the difference. His skill, you know, his uh, position specific skill set is a good one. So Harmon, I do think that he looks like a nice young player for those Redskins. Still a number two in that offense because I think Terry McLaurin is the alpha in that passing game. He's a similar size to Debo Samuel. Players as fast as Terry McLaurin, they're typically 180 pounds. They look like T.Y. Hilton. They look like Brandon Cooks. But you were at the Senior Bowl. You saw Terry McLaurin. That dude's 210 pounds. That dude can operate anywhere against anyone. Press coverage, bracket coverage. He can beat anything the NFL throws at him. Is that right? It is right. I'll tell you, I've seen all these guys in person, Matt. I've met most of them. And you know who McLaurin reminds me a lot of? Actually, reminds me a lot of your guy, Chris Godwin. Oh, I was going to say Roddy White. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. A faster, faster than Roddy. Terry McLaurin's got a lot of Chris Godwin. Terry McLaurin has the thickest neck I've ever seen on a wide receiver. Whoa. Through the first two or three days of the Senior Bowl, I was making the argument amongst our peers there that Terry McLaurin was having every bit as good of a Senior Bowl as Debo Samuel. Right. And I was taking some criticism for that. And then I will say as the week went on, McLaurin had a couple of drops that Debo Samuel didn't have that maybe they started to separate a little bit. But McLaurin had his senior his senior bowl performance was uh, very much up there in the Debo Samuel range. So none of that surprises me. McLaurin looks like a beast moving forward. And you'd love to see Kelvin Harmon like a Mohamed Sanu role, a pumped up inside possession receiver. I think Kelvin Harmon would be fantastic in that role moving forward. And if he performs well in that role and we have McLaurin emerging as as a next generation wide receiver one right there with like DJ Chark, Chris Godwin, what does that mean for Dwayne Haskins? Because I've seen I've seen videos on social media of Alex Smith working out he's pulling sleds byron he's throwing footballs he's dropping back with a cast on his ankle does Dwayne haskins have anything to worry about the idea of alex smith returning to the nfl is cockamamie as hell that is a harebrained idea i hope to never see him on an nfl football field ever again they said that about teddy bridgewater I think Alex Smith's going to come back, but I don't think he's a threat to Dwayne Haskins. I believe Dwayne Haskins is going to continue to improve as the season plays out. Rookie quarterbacks almost always struggle. There's a rare thing that we are treated to this Kyler Murray season that we're enjoying right now. There's a lack of appreciation of what Kyler Murray is doing as a rookie. Yeah, so much here. So Alex Smith, much older, many more millions in the bank than Teddy Bridgewater. And when you look at Haskins, the only thing, in my opinion, there's an outside chance that he has to worry about is if he looks bad here down the stretch and the Redskins maintain a high selection in the next year's NFL draft, who's to say this doesn't turn out like a Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen situation did for Arizona last year? You know, you know, I'd like to see – I think Haskins is a fine prospect and I'm hopeful for him. Uh, yeah, but I mean, when you got weapons, like it's funny for Harmon that you mentioned Sanu, <laughs> because my two comps for Kelvin Harmon were Muhammad Sanu and a slow Devontae Parker. So yeah, I think you start to get those those guys out there. Uh, you get Darius Geis, 
we could we we know he can catch the ball. We saw him on the screen pass the other day. You start to surround. Look, you got to surround your young quarterback with good players. That's going to give him the best chance at success. So you know they're going to need to solve the tight end problem there in Washington. Fortify the offensive line. Fortify. I love that term. I'm going to start using. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> going to fortify the offensive line. I love it. Anytime I can weave in military jargon, I'm in. Uh, just consider it borrowing permanently. You're welcome. I will. Thank you. You know, obviously the Redskins are going to have to continue to add at the uh, wide receiver position this next offseason. The surrounding weaponry will ensure that Dwayne Haskins has no excuses next season. I don't think the Washington's going to draft a quarterback. I think they're going to go with Haskins, and it's going to be a make-or-break season. Like we saw with Josh Allen this year, with Lamar Jackson this year, so many make-or-break seasons, and these quarterbacks are making the most in their sophomore season. I believe we'll see that from Dwayne Haskins because the offensive line will necessarily be healthier, and I think that's the area they should improve first and foremost in the NFL draft. Protect your quarterback. He has McLaurin, Harmon, and Quinn, three young receivers. But I also agree that they need to target a tight end in round two or three. And round three would be the ideal place to draft a tight end. Like we've seen in the last few years, mid-round tight ends breaking out all over the place, starting with George Kittle, Austin Hooper. And in this past draft class, you have Dawson Knox making plays, Foster Moreau making plays. It's not normal. We don't normally see this many rookie tight ends producing this early do we not really we've had some depth there at the position i mean look at i'm not sure if you even mentioned like look at mark andrews breaking out from last year you know he was he was a mid-round guy mark andrews was a third rounder he was drafted around the same slot as austin hooper the list goes on byron well there's a lot of guys like that coming out of college right so it's yeah i mean it's a lot it's why it's part of the reason we can't ever draft a tight end early in fantasy really it's a fun time to cover the NFL. That's what I think. You mentioned Darius Geis. Is he too thin to play in tournaments this week? Do you think he's going to start to capture a larger percentage of that opportunity share now that he has that first week back from the injury behind him? Hell no, he's not too thin to play. Darius Geis has the number one matchup in all of fantasy at home this week for running backs, and he's an absolute stud. I mean, as a matter of fact, you should have been thinking about that play last week. It did work out last week, didn't it? Yeah, Darius Geis is a beast, man. An absolute beast. A better pure runner. If you're a DFS grinder, you look at Darius Geis and say, I can't play a guy who's not catching a significant number of passes, splitting between the tackles carries with Adrian Peterson on Washington's offense, which isn't guaranteed to score more than 10 points in any given week, regardless of the opponent. That would be the case against Darius Geis this week. But I I think that's a weak case because talent matters, right, Byron? Yeah, talent meets opportunity. We love that intersection. And, I mean, that's that's where we're trying to operate at, right? I mean, that's where we're trying to get these fringe guys or the talented guys that have the opportunity. That's where we're going to make a lot of make a lot of our money, you know, to put it in plain and simple. So, you know, think about a game with Darius guys. I believe it's at home against the lowly Lions. I mean, there should be a ton of volume for these Redskins backs this next week, and it's just an outstanding matchup. It's so perfect. At home, too. It's just everything, right? I mean, come on. Yeah, Darius Geis. Yeah, Darius Geis, not a thin play. Everything is lining up. Moon, stars, meteor shower, everything aligning. Not a thin play, no. Darius Geis took a screen play for a touchdown, and 
made a bunch of people look silly in the process. Why don't NFL teams call more screenplays? Man, you forget until you see that clip that Darius Geis reminds you a whole lot of Marshawn Lynch. Yes. 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 I just traded for Darius Geis in Dynasty, so I'm like, yes, yes. I love the screen pass. You have so many – look, you have so many three-down capable running backs these days that – I mean, it's a – it's it's a good it's a good play, but I'm I'm also somebody who's a big proponent of some old school power football. Some of y'all might call me stodgy and antiquated, but I'm not one of these guys that believes we want to see the Austin Ecklers of the world running all over the place. You know, eighty percent snap count every week. I don't either. That's why I think they should be running at least three screen plays per game to Darius Geis, Derrick Henry, and Nick Chubb. It should be a requirement when they're installing the game plan. Minimum three screenplays to these guys. They can't be stopped in space. No one wants those problems, Byron. Yeah, you don't want to tackle any of those dudes. It's a big problem. I mean, you just think back 10 years ago, you had the Adrian Petersons of the world that were of that mold, but they were still two down backs. It just wasn't something defenses have to really worry about. And so, yeah, I mean, think about who's operating out there on the edge, man. Some defensive back, you know, he don't, he, he don't, he don't want to have to come face to face with a beast like Darius Guys. Those players don't want anything to do with Noah Fant. You think they want anything to do with Darius Geis? Get the hell out of here. Jeez, you see Target share for Noah Fant this last week? Might be time. Eye-popping. Might be time. Uh, I don't know there's time for anybody other than Cortland Sutton. Don't you love Cortland Sutton, man? God. Yeah, love Cortland Sutton. Beast, man. You were a big... I remember you were out in front on Cortland Sutton. I went to SMU Pro Day in Dallas, and I filmed the Cortland Sutton... Trey Quinn Pro Day, where Jason Garrett personally organized and orchestrated and ran the wide receiver drills there. And, you know, based on what I saw there and based on the tape coming out of SMU, we always knew it was going to be a second year trajectory for Cortland Sutton. He had so much work he needed to do on his route running in order to become a consistent NFL uh, wide receiver. So, yeah, the sloppy routes, Byron. What about the sloppy routes? What about the poor hand position? It seems that those things can be fixed. If you work on your development as a professional wide receiver, a funny thing happens in your second year when you start to refine your skills. This is weird that maybe, maybe just the raw athleticism and the physical stature is what matters most for a lot of these guys. Well, and the interesting thing was, I remember even going back and watching every rep that Cortland Sutton ran at that pro day with Jason Garrett instructing him. And I had never seen a wide receiver take have to take so much instruction during a pro day workout that really told me something but on the other hand you could see Sutton got better just through the course of that one workout so it told us this guy's smart enough dude that if he gets good coaching at the NFL level and then I was at Broncos training camp his rookie year and I mean it, the guy looked like Brandon Marshall out there during training camp so it was really only a matter of time mm-hmm. uh, you know hopefully in dynasty we get to see him with some good quarterback play sooner than later they need to draft a quarterback. The The quarterbacks that John Elway has drafted are hilarious. I tweeted it out <laughs> months ago, but the list of quarterbacks that John Elway has acquired, other than a broken Peyton Manning, is just a who's who of incompetent quarterbacks. Anytime Brock Osweiler headlines a list, you know it's good. And by good, I mean bad. Yeah, not very bullish on Drew Locke and... Definitely think 
you know, the Broncos can they, they can't afford to go back to the well with another shitty veteran next year. So I, to me, it forces their hand that if they have to at least reconsider quarterback in the first round of the 2020 draft. Oh, they have to be targeting quarterback. You have to think they will be, right? I mean, if you're a fan, you're certainly hoping so. I mean, what we we've always said that Drew Locke had a lot of mechanic, you know, issues mechanically. He's got some Josh Allen to him. He's got some Carson Wentz to his game, but his footwork was so messed up. So, you know, a lot, I a lot will be on their inter- internal evaluation of you know, his, his improvement there within the building, you know, if he can get that stuff straightened out, he's an interesting prospect, mm. but, uh, boy, he was, he, mm. he, he, his, his feet were not connected to his arm. And, you know, to me, that's a bigger problem than trying to fix Cortland Sutton's route running coming out. Couldn't agree more. Fortunately for Denver Broncos fans, you will have a top 10 pick in 2020. Don't blow it. Now with Kareem Hunt returning, What's the difference between Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry at this point? Well, I was kind of thinking of that in a vacuum uh, without Kareem Hunt returning. I was thinking, well, it's about a yard per carry, a few touches a game, and Derrick Henry's the more touchdown-dependent player. But at this point, I mean, Derrick Henry, I think, has more command over his backfield. I mean, Deion Lewis sucks, man. Better offensive line in Tennessee, and Nick Chubb is one of the most explosive one of the most difficult to tackle running backs in the league. But Derrick Henry is number one in metrics like yards created and juke rate. He just breaks tackles like no one else. Well, dude, he's a Hulk, man. That was another pro day that we attended, the Alabama pro day when Derrick Henry came out. And I mean, that was one we left. I mean, you can still watch his pro day video over at the site, rosterwatch, rosterwatch.com. We have all the pro day video up that we've been to over the years. And I mean, you could see that Derrick Henry was participating in the tight end drills, I know Alex has discussed this uh, with you before. I mean, he looked like almost like Kelvin Benjamin out there. So we've been beating the drum for years saying that guy could catch the football. He can be a three down back. But to your point, although, while I may disagree that he's the more explosive player than Nick Chubb, I certainly think Nick Chubb is a more explosive player in short space. But Derrick Henry, explosive and has tremendous long speed. I mean, you, you, you never see him really get caught from behind when he's out in the Ever. Open. But to your point, when you see Derrick Henry in person, and I mean, I've seen all these guys. I've seen the Le'Veon Bells in person, the Leonard Fournettes in person, the Zeeks in person, all these big dudes I've seen him in person, uh, the Royce Freemans. Derrick Henry is a mold unto his own. That guy is an absolutely hulking figure. He is a legit with cleats on every bit of a big 6'4". I mean, there's just not many guys of his height that can actually ever even play the running back position. So he's a freak and he's an anomaly. And uh, I certainly think that last week was a potential buy low or, or buy opportunity late season, right before your trade deadline with Henry on the buy. It was kind of an artificial buy moment uh, for him last year if there was an owner who was in some pain and couldn't really absorb his buy last week. So that might have been a sharp play. I mean, Derrick Henry feels. Feels like he's been a low-end RB1, if we want to be honest with ourselves. But, I mean, you can certainly make the argument that he's a very strong play down the stretch. What the hell do we do with David Montgomery? Match up, play him in your flex. That's all you can do with David Montgomery. Is he the long-term answer at running back in Chicago? Yeah. Yeah, but it'll be under a different head coach and maybe with a different quarterback. So you think he's the guy? If you were a Bears fan, you're happy with David Montgomery as your starting running back? David Montgomery is a very good running back and running back prospect. Yeah. You know, we need his durability. We need to see – he had no durability issues in college. 
that said, he has some mileage on the tire. So, you know, a lot of these rookies come in, their bodies just aren't ready for the heavy workload and the long training camp and long season. So hopefully we see, you know, some of these nicks and injuries go away next year. I mean, I'm very comfortable with David Montgomery as a player in the NFL. I'm, what I'm very uncomfortable with is Matt Nagy's gadgetry, smoke and mirrors, and peewee offensive football scheme, and anything connected to Mitchell Trubisky. Right. Yeah, it's a problem that Mitchell Trubisky is the quarterback. A bad quarterback suppresses running back production. If you're a running back, you want red zone carries, and if your quarterback cannot sustain drives, you're never going to be operating in the red zone. Dude, he ruins your guy, Allen Robinson. He's ruined our guy, Anthony Miller. It's just, I mean, you can't, if you have bad quarterback play, it saps everybody, the entire offense. Everybody's affected, running back, sometimes most of all. Were we a week early getting excited about Miles Sanders? Is this the week? Is this the actual breakout week? Well, Matt, we prefer to call that being ahead of the curve. Yes, that's right. Were we ahead of the curve, Byron, on Miles Sanders? For us, that's what we call the old Andrew Bynum, Derek Rose rule from our old fantasy basketball days where we were always a year too early on players like that. And, you know, Matt, as you know, sometimes being ahead of the curve is painful and sometimes being a first adopter is expensive. So, you know, could that be the case with Miles Sanders heading into this week? could be true this week at home against Seattle, but I tend to think we've seen Miles Sanders for what he is. You know, a player that a player that we felt was overvalued in fantasy drafts in August, by the way. Uh, but, and, and, and what Miles Sanders is, is he's a low floor matchup based flex play in a swindly Doug Peterson running back carousel, <laughs> which is which is fine, Matt. It's fine. We just need to come to grips with the reality of the situation and operate, you know, accordingly, make this is the decisions accordingly. So with a guy like Miles Sanders, the sooner you read the tea leaves on a guy like that, uh, the better off you are. Most rookie running backs aren't ready to assume a bell cow workload. Most running backs are not Josh Jacobs. So this isn't a permanent problem for Miles Sanders, right? Like you believe he can be the featured back in the league, not a permanent indictment. You're asking me if we are a week early on Miles Sanders, so I'm looking at this in terms of fantasy futures here. And right, right, right. So you're not ready to anoint him the next breakout running back, but he does have feature back in his in his future, right? Look, Matt, Miles Sanders is carry on Johnson. You can argue that there's some differences in the style in which they play, but he's essentially that type of player. Carry on <gasps> <Jan> Johnson. <sighs> <laughs> it's always going to be a committee guy. Can he be a 1A? I think so. Is he more likely to be a 1B or a 2A? Maybe so, especially Damn it. with a Doug Peterson. I mean, that's the thing you hate is that you just hate being attached to Doug Peterson. Even on Johnson, we felt like we had a little clarity uh, you know, for a, a, an uptick in his role before he got injured this season. Will we even get that next year heading – into the season out of a Doug Peterson, I, I think it remains to be seen. But if you want my comp, you know, for Miles Sanders and how he projects the NFL moving forward, I look at him as a carry on Johnson type player. We're hoping for a second year leap for Miles Sanders where he has that second puberty and he shows up to training camp looking like Christian McCaffrey. That's what we're hoping for in 2020. I'm allowed to hope for that, right? You are. But the interesting thing is, and we all thought this was, you know, it sounded so ridiculous at the time, but we'll never forget Dave Gettleman telling 
just pounding the table at the NFL Combine for the fact that Christian McCaffrey was the best inside-the-box runner he'd ever scouted. Turns out he was right, man. And, uh, you know, that's been the knock on Miles Sanders this year. If you want to make a – if you want to differentiate him maybe from a McCaffrey, I know you want to see that second NFL puberty. But the, the knock, the criticism of Miles Sanders is that he has been a poor inside-the-box runner as a rookie. Mm, mm. Mm, mm, mm. But he's not as bad as Kalen Balaj, right? Oh, God, who is? Right. On a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is Kalen Balaj at football? Two or a three. Wait, oh, I thought you were going to say a one or like a zero. <laughs> it could be, man. His attitude is a one or a zero. And what's funny, thinking back. Oh, is that right? You know, you're, all, you're always reminded that these football players at the end of the day are still just human beings who are susceptible to all the normal range of human behavior and emotions and reactions and you know, the knock on Kalen Balaj coming out was that he was a guy that didn't love football. And I'll tell you, when I spoke with him at Dolphins training camp over the summer, he had a shitty attitude, man. Really? And we've had a lot of experience with these guys over the years. And I'll tell you, Matt, people might think this is anecdotal, but we can tell you time and time again, the, the players that we've interacted with, the, the young players, the prospects we've interacted with over the year that had the shitty attitudes, they have a lower success rate then you meet the Chris Godwin of the world and you think that he could run for president of the United States or something like that, right? And so – Right. He's wired in the right way, man. So Kalen Balazs, he has a shitty attitude and uh, certainly he's not been a good player. So, I mean, yeah, you could say he's he's abysmal. Shouldn't Miles Gaskin get that job at this point? What, what are they waiting for? I think so. I mean, Gaskin's a player I also – you know. Kind of liked him coming out last year, right? Had yeah. good production, three down capability. Had a, a really was pretty good in short space. Uh, I, I do. I'm I'm waiting to see Miles Gaskin get some more run. I wonder if they're playing Kalen Balaj because it helps them lose games. I'm wondering if it is a camouflaged tanking tactic to play Kalen Balaj at starting running back. It sure does uh, seem like it. Although Brian Flores doesn't strike me as that kind of dude who's more cooked who are you more worried about long term sony michelle or james connor yeah that's a tough one but i thought about this i'd probably have to say sony michelle and here's why you know we were fairly moved by sony michelle's role while we were at patriots training camp for a couple days uh, back in august but the folks that we trust most around uh foxborough the they were all hopeful about Michelle too, but to a man, I mean, they really implored me just to never lose sight of the fact that Sony Michelle has a legitimately chronic knee condition. And in some way, somehow that was going to affect him this season, whether it was missing games or whether it's just having the juice sapped out of him, hmm. which is where I think we've seen it manifest the most. He's just not the player we saw coming out of Georgia, right? So, you know, you're splitting hairs here. Obviously, Connor with a lot of durability issues. That said, I think he's looked really pretty darn good when he's in there and they're able to feed him volume. So, you know, based, I don't want a player with a chronic knee condition at the running back position. So if you're going to ask me that, I think that Michelle is closer to being toast than James Connor is. James Connor can come back healthy next season and be a beast, be an RB1 in fantasy. Yeah, I mean, the guy looks good. It's very much in james connor's range of outcomes he is an all-purpose back he can win in all phases the problem is every part of his body has been injured this season and some of that is his durability problems he had a high fragility rating on 
playerprofiler.com coming into the season, and it's only gotten worse. His injury forecast will be top 10 among NFL running backs next season based on his injury history because every injury that a player sustains, particularly lower body injuries, increase the probability of future injuries. That's my concern with James Conner, but you've seen running backs be injured consistently and then they wake up one morning and disprove the injury-prone label. It happens every season. Look at Leonard Fournette! (laughs) There you go. Look at Leonard Fournette! Is this the week that Leonard Fournette scores a touchdown? I sure as hell hope so. Maybe multiple, please, Leonard? (laughs) Right? Yeah, please, thank you. Absolutely. I mean, we we need it, man. I got got a fair amount of Leonard Fournette exposure this year, Matt. So I'm 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 waiting for the touchdown. So at some point, like you said, at some point you read the writing on the wall, you read the tea leaves and you say this guy's um just a flat out touchdown deficient player. Not yet. Not yet. This could be a long tail. Yes. Random set of events. And with Nick Foles back at the helm, I think it changes the calculus on that. I really do think we get we finally get the positive touchdown regression for Fournette here down the stretch. Now, you and Alex Dunlap insisted that Leonard Fournette is a strong receiver, but did you see 51 targets through 11 weeks? Did you see that? I did. I did. I I mean... You did? Yeah, I I did, Matt, because once again, uh, Jaguars... So that's a training camp I've been to the last three years in a row. And so it really... When you've gone to a training camp that many years, I mean, you start to see there's can be, you know what to expect, and you can notice some stark differences. And it was very obvious to me, based on reps at training camp, that that Leonard Fournette was going to get as many touches as he could handle in every single way imaginable this year. And in training camp, he was getting a ton of action with no T.J. Yeldon who is an excellent – T.J. Yeldon could have been a slot receiver. He's a good receiver. T.J. Yeldon, a very good receiver, uh, still I think a somewhat decent third down back. But with him out of the way and really nobody behind him except for Alfred Blue and Rykel Armstead, the rookie, it just opened the door for Leonard Fournette, who we knew could catch the football, to absorb the T.J. Yeldon uh, – targets on top of whatever he was getting before and you know what we would never say he's the receiver that a you know somebody like a Le'Veon Bell is or anything like that but we always thought Leonard Fournette could catch the ball pretty well coming out of LSU do you have a lock button running back for this week week 12 it's a little bit too early but the indications are it may be Alvin Kamara Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. why not why not it's a nice matchup with the Carolina Panthers and uh, I think people are maybe a little bit asleep on Alvin Kamara right now. And it's a home game. And the Saints' home road splits do not just affect Drew Brees. It's all the skill position players. They're all better at home, baby. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is the home cooking, man. You want Alvin Kamara. This is it. This is a 40-point week. This is a big, burly monster in store for Alvin Kamara this week. <laughs> What if you need help on the waiver wire? You don't have Leonard Fournette. You don't have Alvin Kamara. You risk it all for Jonathan Williams. He went over 100 yards, and Marlon Mack is going to see a hand specialist. Anytime I see visiting a specialist, I get very concerned, Byron. 
<laughs> you've seen these guys come back from these hand specialists usually a couple weeks later they get some minor surgery and then play again but cer- certainly a reason for concern although Marlon Mack not a guy that was ever really catching the football much to begin with just need to make sure he can hold on to it and not fumble it look I, the way I look at it is just it's just the same as last week there's really only one true all-in move on the waiver wire Matt and that's for Darius guys that's the way we saw it last week still less than 50% on this week no he's not less than 50% on what leagues are these yo yahoo global as of this morning he was still less than 50% oh my if you had to prioritize one or the other would it be jonathan williams or bo scarborough i think i'm leaning towards bo scarborough a player that has a little Garrett blunt has a little derrick henry to him and if i've got to split those hairs i like the matchup against washington Versus, I think Jonathan Williams has the Titans. So I, I, I think I'd rather, although, you know, look, they had the same number of touches last week 14 for Scarborough, 14 for Williams. That said, Williams hadn't absorbed all of Max's touches yet. Will that happen? I, I you know, I, I think Jonathan Williams could easily turn into this week's Brian Hill, right? You know, a big waiver pickup that, you know, basically disappoints. So we're trying to avoid that. If I'm splitting hairs, I think maybe I go with the matchup there and I just, think you look at it and you say Bo Scarborough with the matchup against the Redskins, maybe that's a little nicer matchup than Jonathan Williams against those tight. There's also no foreboding threat of Marlon Mack returning from this hand specialist with a special cast, right? He goes to the hand specialist, he gets a special cast, and he's playing in two weeks. And Jonathan Williams isn't relevant in the fantasy playoffs. But If Bo Scarborough continues to produce, he's just going to be the starting back for the Lions for the remainder of the season. There's no one else on that depth chart challenging him, clearly. It's just curious that the Lions continue to bring in the Paul Perkins instead of just promoting Scarborough. What is it about Scarborough that turns off so many coaches around the NFL? Because the guy looks the part of an explosive between-the-tackles runner. From a waiver perspective, I think you do raise an excellent point that we have the looming shadow of Marlon Mack when we're trying to evaluate how we prognosticate Jonathan Williams and how we want to go on him on waivers. Is it a one-week player? Is that a guy we're looking at rest of season? Scarborough looks like he has more rest of season appeal at this point. A different type of player than all of these guys, but where I had him ranked in that class was basically... He was right in the range of like the Kalen Bellages, the Edo Smiths, uh, the Mark Waltons, basically a bunch of fringe guys uh, that have all shown that they at least in some small sample have some type of NFL viability or, or relevance. I mean, had him just a notch below the guy like Jalen Samuels of the world. And, and to your point, it does concern you because you got to remember – he was drafted by the Cowboys. So for a minute there, I thought he was going to be a nice handcuff to Zeke Elliott. And then they just let him walk. Yeah. So there is some, there is something curious there. How bad is his vision and instincts? If coaches, their first priority is got to sign Paul Perkins and give him a shot before promoting Bo Scarborough. It's weird. Yeah, and he's just that big body guy. He's that big body guy who looks like he could be a little bit lumbering and just be a huge target out there. He's just an unorthodox type of player. And, you know, I remember he shit, he was doing backflips and stuff uh, on going viral on like YouTube videos before the NFL draft. So it's not that he doesn't have some explosive capability. I'm just like you say, it could be his vision. It could be his lateral agility. 
Well, he opted out of the lateral agility drills. Well, that's a problem. I mean, we've all learned ever since Trent Richardson that you've got to look for lateral agility. You've got to look for vision. You've got to have ability to shed first contact. You've got to have good feet. So even if you're a big, fast, strong dude that can run in open space and catch the ball, like maybe like a Scarborough, those other things are issues over a large – see, Matt, this is what we see a lot of time with these French players, man. There's – you, you can't ever forget, all of these guys are NFL caliber athletes. So virtually any of them, they were all the best guy at their high school or in their college or right. like in the community they grew up in. So every one of these dudes can can show some enticing viability in a, in a short, small sample. Where the guys that aren't elite get exposed is over time. So that's why when these fringe guys, I never get too excited about them in anything more than a one or two week Sample, even a guy like, um, you know, you know, I hate to use Eckler as a comp because Eckler's a guy I've liked for a while now. But like thinking back to last year, Austin Eckler has improved from then to now. But Eckler was still the kind of guy that you like him more in a two, three, four, five game scenario. I don't love him every week over the course of a 16, you know, game season. And, Matt Breida is a better example, actually. Yeah, that, that, those kind of guys, right? A Raheem Moster. Right, he's going to come in and look good for one or two games. Yeah, that guy's got a one-week shelf life. That thing's going to shrivel up like a raisin in the sun, man. <laughs> I want to note, for the record, Your Honor, that once upon a time, Bo Scarborough caught 17 passes at Alabama. So he's not the most incompetent receiver. He can catch some dump-offs and run some screen plays. I like him this week. Yeah, I mean, I think we've, I think I've talked myself right here into this recording and uh, putting Bo Scarborough above Jonathan Williams on the Week Twelve waiver wire cheat sheet at Roster Watch. I think we have to. I think we have to. That was a great collective call by us. So, what do we do with Ty Johnson at this point? I mean, drop him for a better player. <clears throat> drop him for a better player off the waiver wire. He's so explosive, though. What happened? He just, I mean, there's just so many of those guys, man. I don't know what the hell happened. You want to try to figure out, sometimes you can't rationalize the irrational in life, Matt. So when that's the case, man, don't you just relinquish the headache and move on. There's just too many good options. These players that were super efficient in a partial season in college, and then they come in, they look explosive, you get excited about them. But it's like you said, they have a short shelf life time and time again. Are you familiar with a player named Ryan Nall? Because he could be relevant this season. I'm not, but the trash man might be. Okay. You'd have to come over to, to, to visit with the trash man at rosterwatch.com to get an analysis on a player like Ryan Null. I just can't buy into anything on the Bears. How can you buy into anything on the Bears? I know. That's the problem. Why? 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 Why would you invest in a Bears running back? He is next in line if David Montgomery continues to wear down. So that's something to monitor. But... My take on Ryan Nall has been and will always be that they should move him to tight end. And they moved him to tight end, he could be a Charles Clay, and he'd extend his career. He'd be happier, and they would get more out of him. But for now, he's a running back, and he's going to get touches in Chicago. That's going to happen this season. Yeah, I'd have to ask that you reserve Ryan Nall fantasy questions for the trash man, Matt. I will. But I can ask you about DJ Chark, because we talked about him earlier. Hell yeah, you can. Baby Chark. What does he need to do to be a top 10 dynasty receiver? 
I mean, I don't have the entire list in front of me of who the guys are in that conversation. Come on, Byron. But hold on, Have hold a on. Take. Because I mean, obviously, with hold on, the take is not much. He doesn't DJ Chark. There's not much DJ Chark needs to to do to be a top ten wide receiver in dynasty. So if you ask me, what does DJ Chark need to do to be a top ten dynasty wide receiver moving forward? I would tell you, Matt, not much. Not much. What more do you need? What more do you need to see, man? I mean, the only thing you could only thing you could contemplate is you know what's you know the long trajectory of that quarterback situation. But I think right now you feel pretty fine about it. So, what you're worried about the quarterback situation in Jacksonville? They have a guy, man, named Gardner Minshew. <laughs> hey, we like Minshew magic. Another sneaky guy from last year's Senior Bowl. I've said all along since last year's Senior Bowl that Minshew had a lot of Jimmy Garoppolo to him. Another player from previous Senior Bowl that we'd scouted. So, I, I, mm-hmm. I like you say, I, there's they're not in a. In a horrible bind at quarterback but i think that's the only question you raise with dj chart right i mean what else is there to ask about i don't know i don't know if you had to pick a dj you go dj Moore. you go dj chark dude i'm going dj chark man well that's the question that's the question dj Moore is the gatekeeper to the dynasty top 10 that's who dj chark needs to leapfrog i can't tell you exactly why but man the eyeball test just tells me that i really like dj chark He's excellent. And maybe I'm more worried about the quarterback situation in Carolina. I mean, Cam Newton, I don't know what the hell he's up to, man. Sad trombone for Cam Newton. How good is McCole Hardman? Because he passes the eye test. Yeah, McCole Hardman's really, really good. And even more impressive, he was such a targeted pick by the Chiefs to really fill a role and a a specific role in that scheme. And it just looks like they just... Hit that one right on the head, man. It just it's it's like a perfect marriage. So Mikko Hardman looks like an excellent football player. He looks almost as fast as Tyreek Hill out there and Afterburners, bro. Afterburners. It just looks like an amazing fit, man. So you, I I love Mikko Hardman. Why can't Andy Isabella do what Mikko Hardman's doing? I think he can and he will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean Isabella's a guy I've been eyeing for two weeks on the waiver wire now. I think in a competitive competitive format he's a guy that can be picked up and you can consider playing him down the stretch here at coming uh, off the bye thank you for saying that thank you don't you like long touchdowns when a long touchdown happens and you have that guy on your fantasy team do you not like that well who has a better chance of doing that on any given week on any given throw then the most efficient wide receiver in the league, it's actually Andy Isabella. It's a very small sample. Don't repeat this to anybody. Don't say I said it because it's a very small sample. He doesn't qualify for any rankings on playerprofiler.com, but he is the most efficient wide receiver right now. Yeah, I mean, and obviously Larry Fitzgerald fading and Hakeem Bustler, as you mentioned. Bustler? I mean, he's, he, he's not even in the picture, so... Look, you got the main thing is you got Kyler Murray, who looks like an awesome young NFL quarterback. And so, if I've got him out there slinging it around, then I can be very interested in a deep, competitive, or desperation situation and plugging in Andy, Andy Isabella down the stretch. And obviously, love him in Dynasty. Like, if yeah. you ask me, who do I like more, Isabella or Miko Hardman? In Dynasty, yes. In Dynasty, I'd, it'd be an incredibly difficult question to answer. One has Patrick Mahomes, one has Kyler Murray. You can't discount three more years of Mahomes with Hardman and Murray with Isabella. 
You can't, man. That's so valuable. On the other hand, you have a Mike Williams who has Philip Rivers. And Philip Rivers looks like he's at the end of the line. Are you worried about Philip Rivers? Yeah, I mean, another train that didn't go to Chargers training camp this year, but a long time uh, Philip Rivers absolutist here. I mean, that's a especially in fantasy, just a guy I've plugged along with for years and seen him at training camp many, many times. But, you know, we always hear about when the cliff comes, it comes fast and it's been a precipitous drop off. You're just seeing all the symptoms of a quarterback who just, you know, can't get it really get it done anymore. So a little bit uh, sad to see. But I mean, you raised Mike Williams name and. No, I say it with so many of these guys, man. Uh, the court you got if you don't have if they don't have a good quarterback, it's hard. You know, you're not. It's not a really even a fair evaluation on a guy like uh, you know Mike Williams or like I've even said maybe even an Anthony Miller in Chicago. Well, that's right. Yeah, the Anthony Miller is a perfect example. Let me ask you a question: What if Anthony Miller and Mike Williams switched places, and Mike Williams went to Memphis, and Anthony Miller went to Clemson? How would we perceive these two wide receivers? I mean, it probably it probably would have been significantly different. That's right. And Mike Williams would have still given a pr- pretty good prospect coming out, but um, I, you know, you just to me, you just look at that and you say these. If you can't get the quarterback situation right, then it's going to come at the expense of your fantasy wide receivers. Receivers, even if you think that they're you know solid prospects. So I mean, that's the way I see it with Mike Williams. I see Mike Williams. Man, Mike Williams, the thing people don't know about Mike Williams, so when you see a Mike Williams in person, as you think coming out of Clemson, you think of Mike Williams as a big X wide receiver. Well, when you see a Mike Williams, you realize he's not nearly as big as somebody like Cortland Sutton in person, mm-hmm. who's really the archetypal mm-hmm. X. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's, he's maybe a little bit bigger than somebody like uh, Josh Doxson, who is a more sinewy player. And so what I've came to realize about Mike Williams is we thought of him as that big vertical threat uh, you know and we saw we saw the, those chops last night but Mike Williams in many ways Matt they they're able to move him around and run him on short and intermediate routes and he's able to separate in a way that really surprised me for a big man he actually in many ways reminded me of like a bigger Keenan Allen when I was at Chargers camp the last couple of years so that really surprised me it may surprise uh, some some of your listeners. So I see him as a versatile. He's actually not a pure X. He's a big guy with deep, you know, b- big chops for high value targets. But he can also get open in the short and intermediate range and kind of be a versatile player that I think can absorb a lot of targets. Uh, you know, the problem is it's just that's just not going to happen. That's just not going to happen. There's just too many mouths to feed with the Chargers, and you know Philip Rivers looks like dust. I love that you called Philip Rivers dust, but I have to give you the cliche sound effect for saying too many mouths to feed. Sorry, Byron. But officially, Mike Williams is not overrated, according to Byron Lambert. Not overrated. No, because it would depend on him. For somebody to be overrated, it depends on the sentiment, right? So, I mean, I don't feel like the ethos surrounding Mike Williams is – yeah, uh, is, is is one that's very you know people aren't bullish on Mike Williams, so well, they were for a long time. Yeah, they were. So I'd say relatively now, I don't, I don't. He's finally leveled off. Yeah, he's finally valued correctly. Is that happening with Devonte Parker? Compare Mike Williams and Devonte Parker. 
pretty similar. I think Mike Williams is a more versatile. I just do see Mike Williams as a more versatile wide receiver. Pretty similar. A lot of that comes down to durability and just quarterback play. So, I look, I think Mike Williams can turn out to be a pretty darn good. I mean, think about Corey Davis and John Ross. I mean, that was the wide receiver oh. class. You know, I probably might like Mike Williams as a pure prospect at this point after two or three seasons, I, I guess three seasons now over those other two. But, you know, I just think you look at that and you say, man, I mean, all of those guys have been it, – it, it's not a fair evaluation. I mean, we finally saw John Ross break out a little bit this year, but it, we need to see those guys with good quarterbacks. Would Corey Davis, would John Ross, would Mike Williams have been much different players had they landed, you know, with the Drew Brees or a, even a Carson Wentz or somebody along those lines? I, I think there's a good chance. So does Devontae Parker give hope to Corey Davis dynasty owners? Don't lose faith. It could happen. It just might take five years. It's just so contingent about the quarterback situation. Yeah, I think Corey Davis could be like that. You worry if Corey Davis can ever hold Corey Davis and hope for a big quarterback upgrade in Tennessee. I mean, that's all. That's that's really all that you can do. He does look like he could be a just an inconsistent player at the bottom line. But you know, Marcus Mariota has just been a terrible. You know, these, these wide receiver evaluations are contingent on the quarterback play on those teams, and you know, unfortunately, even for some of these prospects who are de- good to decent prospects. They just, you're not going to see it unless they get better quarterback play. You know who had a huge quarterback upgrade this offseason? Randall Cobb. <laughs> right? He did, man. Right? I mean, Dak Prescott, he's elite. Is he better than Aaron Rodgers? At this point in his career, yes, I think so. I mean, like if I, w- I mean, uh, yeah, I think so. As an overall prospect, if I'm kind of looking, f- looking, if I'm if I'm having any foresight, maybe I'm not even looking three, four years down the road, but over this next couple of years, yeah, I like Dak Prescott more than Aaron Rodgers. I, I don't think we have the same quarterback with Aaron Rodgers anymore that we used to. Mm-hmm. Not to say that he can't still be a good player, and I do think Matt LaFleur has breathed uh, some life back into him. It's worth remembering that quarterbacks peak at age 29, 30. We see so many quarterbacks succeeding in their late 30s that – we lose perspective that when you look at the age-adjusted production curve of the quarterback position, they peak at age 29-30. And Aaron Rodgers is 36. And you do, it's just not a coincidence. You know, I was thinking this last night. It, it, it's interesting to see that literally Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, all drafted in the same class, all long careers, but all falling off the map at essentially the same time. And it's just the limits of... Human physiology, unless you've been in the TB12 scientific program all these mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. 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 I just don't, you know, it just the body's not made for it. So those guys are, yeah, I, I think you like, I think you like Dak Prescott there. But again, it brings us back to a targeted player to fill a role in a scheme. And to me, Randall Cobb's success has been predicated on the fact that Dallas, Kellen Moore, that staff, for whatever reason, identified that for the type of offense they were going to construct and call around Dak this year, that a player like Randall Cobb that can fill that role in that offense. Good player, man. Would be a good fit, man. And it has been so much of it's about the fit. So he hadn't been a guy we can trust, you know, it, over the course of the season, but obviously heated up big again these last two weeks and then you know I think it's the games at New England you worry a lot about Amari Cooper and you start to think this week that maybe Randall Cobb can once again continue to be a a sneaky target for Dak Prescott (laughs) 
Breaking news, Randall Cobb is not 30. Randall Cobb is only 29 years old. That blew my that's that is the news of the day that blew my mind. He's not 30. It's amazing. Good for him, man. That is the mind-blowing news of the day. Yeah, if I'm starting a franchise today, it's hard to make a case for anyone other than Patrick Mahomes ahead of Dak Prescott. That's where Dak Prescott has ascended to. That's the place he now resides. Yeah, you just blew my hair back with that one, man. But it's true. Shocking. You would trust Dak Prescott with your franchise. Oh, dude, there's he's like he is one of the best dudes in the NFL to lead your team, to lead your organization, to be the CEO of your on-field product, right. to be the right. face of your franchise. Right. I mean, all of that is baked into the pie. That's right. When evaluating a franchise NFL quarterback. I'm not saying Dak Prescott's a top three dynasty quarterback. No, but if I were an NFL administrator starting a franchise, building a product, I would want Dak Prescott as the face of that product. Absolutely. And it's also nice that he can go out and execute and throw for 450 yards. Absolutely. No question about it. It's also nice, though, to see some of these NFL teams coming around a little bit on on the construct of their offenses and building them around the talents of these players, man. I said it when I went to Ravens camp, I was just, I was blown away at Ravens camp this summer, all off season. I'd been beating the drum for just how interested I was to poke around on the situation in Baltimore. Because I just thought if you contemplated the pieces that they'd added over the off season in a year or two of Lamar Jackson, it was just such a fascinating fascinating construct to contemplate what that offense in Baltimore could be. And then, you know, having scouted this guy coming out of Louisville, then you get to the Ravens camp this summer and you see that they have like taken everything that Lamar Jackson was good at in college, but they've retrofitted to a legit pro style offense. You know, they're going to cut out all the gray area in the passing game for him. It's either going to be high percentage stuff or deep stuff. And they're going to make this multi-tight end, you know, formational offense. It's going to be a, a run-heavy scheme, and they're going to transition this guy from a full-blown uh, running quarterback to a, more of a scrambler as he's kind of uh, he, he's taking off as a, a, a he's growing as a passer. And so, yeah, tactical scrambler. I mean, I just left there saying, my God, like you know, I I'm feeling really, really positive about where. Uh, Lamar Jackson is headed as a second-year player. This was coming out of training camp. Now, did I know he was going to go this bananas? I don't think anybody could, but I was very bullish on him. However, my, the, the greater takeaway, though, was how fascinating it was to see a team like that move in. Like, they weren't old and stodgy, man. They used ingenuity, and they kind of moved into – it felt like they moved into the new age of the NFL a little bit there in Baltimore and I, I do believe we're starting to see a little more of that it's, you are it's incremental but we're seeing it's it. a lot longer than folks you know a lot of folks have wanted you know but you look you're not going to get the college offenses in the NFL it's got to be an NFL style that accentuates what those players were good were good at. I think we're seeing you know we're seeing uh coach cool out in Arizona do pretty well but I mean the days of you know you're not going to get I know a lot of these people a lot of folks are really um uh, you know they're all they're they're always kind of dreaming for the college offense to come to the NFL, and I don't find that to be a realistic expectation. But Baltimore does need to find a way to start leveraging Justice Hill. That's the biggest surprise to me is that they disappeared Justice Hill. I feel like he complements Lamar Jackson incredibly well. 
Yeah, so I left camp thinking it was going to be 15 to 18 touches a game for Mark Ingram, 8 to 10 touches a game for Gus Edwards, and 5 to 10 touches a game for Justice Hill. But I'm with you. I think we've started to see him rear his head a little bit more. I mean, he's the kind of – he's got – He's the kind of firecracker that you throw into that committee right there that can really make that thing pop. So, yeah, he's, he's a, an awesome young player, a terrific attitude. I mean, we're very, very high just on Justice Hill as a young NFL player. So I, I'm with you, Matt. Dynasty by low? Yeah, I think so. Top dynasty by low, right? I think so, man. I think so. And you can, you can, you can, you can bet that the Ravens – I mean, like I said, I'm pointing to the ingenuity on their offense. You can bet they're going to keep finding ways to bring that kid they're along. find a way. He's so explosive. He's too good, and he's a great fit for what they're trying to do. Look yeah. at all the speed they added. That's what I'm saying. They want to run on the perimeter. What the fuck? I mean, that team, that team, not only did they build this offense to fit Jackson, but you think about it. They drafted Hollywood Brown. They wanted the speed. They drafted Miles Boykin. They wanted the speed. They drafted Justice Hill. They wanted the speed. And what they want to do that, what they wanted to surround their extremely fast quarterback with even more speed. They want to create space. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's been uh, just fascinating what the Ravens have done. And I I am um, encouraged that we're starting to see the beginnings of that more and more elsewhere around the NFL. Better wide receiver in a vacuum, Mike Evans or Chris Godwin? Mike Evans. Oh, even though you love Chris Godwin, right? Chris Godwin's wired the right way. He could run for president, but you still go Mike Evans. Mike Evans is just the big dog. He's the big beast. He's the super alpha male. Okay. That's a guy we've scouted very closely ever since he came out of A&M. Uh, you know, and I just have, as much as I like Godwin, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. again, I was at Buck's training camp this summer, really like Godwin, but just still very evident to me that Mike Evans is probably the best player on the team he's definitely the best player on the offense and it's just still clear at the end of the day that he is uh he he is the headliner in the tampa bay buccaneers offense why do the buccaneers refuse to use justin watson i don't know that's a good question he's not bad byron no i like justin watson he has he was actually pretty decent at training camp while i was there he was kind of going back and forth with bobo wilson and one other dude i can't think of his name right now scott miller I don't think it was Scotty Miller. I know Scotty Miller's making... Is he Scott or Scotty? I've seen Scotty. Is he Scotty now? He was Scott. Who does that? Who converts to a more juvenile-sounding nickname when they become a professional? I've never seen that. Normally, it's... I'm not Mitch. I'm Mitchell. That's so funny. I think of Mitchell as the more juvenile name there. Really? Maybe I'm... Has that backwards. Really? (laughs) Oh, they went... I thought he was going full name... Scotty Miller. I mean, I love it, man. If if I was a fast NFL wide receiver, I'd want to be named Scotty. Scotty sounds very fast. Yeah, I think of those little white dogs, those little Scotties. Yeah, Scotty. Woo, woo. Come on, come on. Woo, come on. Good dog. Ruff. I think Scotty looks like a little Westy, if I can remember. Yeah. Ruff, ruff. Good boy. Good boy. I like him, though. I mean, he's commanding targets. Yeah. He's the new number three for a pass-first offense. And he's got the four four wheels. I'd agree, man. I mean, I'd say there was a time, there's been a time or two where you could have imagined that a Bruce Arians wide receiver three in this offense could have some relevance for a minute there. It was Brashad Perriman. If it's not going to be him. J.J. Nelson. Yeah, I think you can maybe slide somebody else into that conversation. So Why not? Yeah. It's not O.J. Howard. We know that. Can you demystify the O.J. Howard debacle? 
What's happened? It's the unsolved mystery of the NFL right now is what's going on with O.J. Howard. Yeah, he's bad at professional football. And, I, you know, I hesitate. I don't know what's going on with him. The most efficient tight end for two consecutive seasons, Byron. That makes no logical sense that this is how it's playing out for him in his third year in the NFL. It makes no sense. This is an enigma wrapped in a riddle. I don't. I just don't think he's a good player in the NFL. What? And, and part. And, and but here's why. I am starting to think OJ Howard's not a dog. And you can get away with that in college, just being the best athlete on the field on a front runner team like Alabama. And trust me, we thought OJ Howard was an incredibly sick tight end prospect yeah. coming out. I mean, he's an absolute beast, right? But you also reminded that Bruce Arians hates your fantasy tight end. So what are you going to do about it? Bruce Arians hates your fantasy tight end. You're stuck. He should have been traded. But he, oh, no, but but no, but but he actually personal. It seems like he personally hates OJ Howard because Cameron Braid has no problem being the leading receiver in Week Eleven. Well, because he like because Bruce Arians likes a guy who is willing to block, oh. and OJ Howard hasn't necessarily been that guy. Is that really the thing? He's just a pussy. Let me say, I, look, I hate to go there because I just don't know the guy, and he seems like a very, very nice, nice young man. Oh no, this is the indictment is coming. Oh, the preface. He seemed like a nice man. <laughs> the, the few interactions I've had with OJ Howard. Given the context of what I've seen in the NFL now, I wonder if he's a little bit too nice, Matt. Yep. Per Byron Lambert on Roto Underworld Radio, O.J. Howard's a pussy. Buy low on Will Fuller? Maybe. Depends on how low. I'm not going out of my way for it, but it, that, that could be a sneaky idea. could be a sneaky I idea. I think it's a sneaky idea. Yeah. We have no yeah. analysis. That's just a sneaky idea. Who's Pittsburgh's real number two wide receiver? James Washington or Deontay Johnson? I think it's impossible to tell, man. Ooh, you're punting this question. You're backed up fourth and 15. You're punting. Yeah, that's where if you're having to make that desperation play in your league, you're hoping that only one of those guys is on your waiver wire and the decision's been made for you. Now, I'm curious, as a Pittsburgh Steeler fan, for example, someone approaches you, hey, Byron Lambert, who's the jelly to Juju Smith-Schuster's peanut butter in the next three years? Without seeing any more, maybe still give a slight edge to Deontay Johnson. That's the right answer. That's the right. Give him the right answer sound effect. that's the right answer the difference is Deontay Johnson is a better football player you go back to his time at Toledo Akron one of those schools and he's very active on special teams they're feeding him touches out of the backfield the dynamism and all-purpose skill set was on display in a way that it wasn't for James Washington, where he was a one-dimensional outside wide receiver at the college level. You're not one-dimensional if you're merely an outside wide receiver. Well, you are if you're J.J. Arcega-Whiteside or you're a D.K. Metcalf at this point in his development. But at the college level, you'd like a receiver to do more than just play receiver. That's what we saw with Debo Samuel. He's lining up in the backfield. There's something there. The team wants to manufacture touches for this player at all costs. Why is that? Why are why is Kent State putting Julian Edelman back to return punts? Why? Why is that? Why would they risk that? Because that player is so electric with the ball in his hands, and I think that's the advantage that Deontay Johnson has over a James Washington. Yeah, I'd say if you just look yourself in the mirror and you're honest with yourself. 
James Washington looks like he's locking into like nice wide receiver three, NFL wide receiver three, not fantasy, but and, yeah, you know, that's right. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, in the NFL, it looks like a good role for him. Yeah. And you know, the other thing about James Washington, and you always have to factor this in, is an, again another very sweet, nice kid. Um, <laughs> Here we go. You know, but Kevin Colbert at the combine this year, he said that he pretty explicitly said the reason that James Washington was unable to contribute as a rookie is because he was slow to pick up the offense. Well, Deontay Johnson doesn't seem to have any problems with information processing. What about Nikhil Harry? He seems to be picking up the Patriots offense, commanded four targets in week 11. Are you excited? Not excited. I mean, I can be interested. Somewhat interested, not excited. Nikhil Harry was my number one wide receiver prospect in this year's NFL draft class. So great call. So yeah, we had Harry, AJ Brown, Debo Samuel. Is that a good top three? That's a hell of a top three, man. Right? 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 I had DK Metcalf. Just alpha male. Alpha male. Boom, boom, boom. Nikhil Harry actually was my highest graded wide receiver over the last two draft classes. I had a bigger grade on him than even DJ Moore. It was close. It was close. I think they're similar players. It's just that Nikhil Harry's like 20 pounds heavier. Yeah, exactly. He's got some like Des Bryant to him a little bit, right? He's not going to really kill you with separation, but uh, in certain in terms of yard separation, but he's going to kind of body you out and do some slick things. I hope to see it work out. I was at Patriots camp, as I mentioned, and it didn't take me long to figure out it was going to be a very slow slog of a rookie trajectory for Nikhil Harry. That said, he definitely flashed you know the capabilities that we had seen from scouting him during those training camp sessions so i think he's on a trajectory it's just it's it's a slow one in that new england offense and and it's not going to happen this year because they acquired muhammad sanu it's muhammad sanu and julian edelman and whoever the third banana is in the tom brady passing game isn't exciting for fantasy football Nikhil harry is a year or two away but don't lose hope but I worry about that a little bit, Matt, for one of my highest-ranked guys, because especially start to worry about the quarterback situation. And I just feel like we see it all too often with these NFL guys. Even the players that maybe you had them as a good grade or good prospect coming out, if they hit that lull in their career that first one, two, three years, it just it feels like some of these guys never recover from a slow start. Between Nikhil Harry and A.J. Brown, who has a better chance to persevere through bad quarterback play and come out on the other side a stud i think you'd have to say aj brown because you can get him the ball in more ways and he's got better run after catch did you interview him i did he'd be right there with debo samuel the guy i would run and hide behind if anything were to go down dude he's a beast man so yeah first of all nice kid fun guy too nice cool guy it was very gracious and respectful and when you see aj brown man you've never seen legs that big on a wide receiver uh in person before i've seen a lot of receivers since 2012 coming out into the nfl and he has a pair of big big running back legs on him he's a beast man yeah. you know he what is he? he's like 228 so he's just he's monster but he's not that tall so when you see him you're just like damn that dude is he's thick he you don't see wide receivers built like him he passes the roster watch leg test he does man the opposite of the darren mcfadden chicken legs what about hunter renfro chicken legs man he's like a little squirrel out there or something huh but he's getting the job done there's different ways to get the job done you just want to matriculate the football down the field 
No one says you have to do it in a particular style. Yeah, I tweeted out on Sunday that I couldn't criticize you if you made the determination to flex Hunter Renfro moving forward no. in a competitive league. He's the number two. <laughs> He's number two receiver. Yeah, and Gruden likes him. Dude, It's again, it, so much of this comes down to literally just common human behavior. Quarterbacks literally throw the football to guys that they like and they trust. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, you're seeing that with Hunter Renfro. Are we seeing it with Tim Patrick in Denver? The shower factor with Brandon Allen to Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick commanded eight targets. That was one less than Cortland Sutton. Well, Matt, that's what we've called the second team doctrine for a long time now. And that's when you get a quarterback and a wide receiver, a quarterback and a tight end who have practiced together a whole bunch on the second or third team. And then they get that opportunity where injuries force them both to emerge contemporaneously into a a picture where there's starters on an NFL team for some amount of time. So there is reality behind the chemistry of those players. And as I just stated, that chemistry really, it is real and it does exist. You admit it, admit it. Tim Patrick's interesting. You can make the argument. I just, you know, I look at that offense and I just say, man, how much, you know, how much really can you get interested in behind Cortland Sutton and Philip Lindsay? Tim Patrick would be a 26-year-old breakout, and those are rare, but he was very productive at Utah, and he's got an 87th percentile catch radius. This guy's 6'4". I happen to like the big slot prototype. That's guilty as charged of having an affinity for that type of player. That makes sense. I'm, I'm listening to all the guys that you, you're you're really hammering on it. I mean, those are good players, man. There's a good fit for them. Uh, and look, Deshaun Hamilton has gone off the reservation. Deshaun Hamilton's done. Bye. Bye. I, I, I would say it's just a competition between Fant and Patrick for who, if who, if anybody can emerge as a reliable number two in the receiving game there for Denver down the stretch. Yeah, you, all you care about is the number two because the number three on Denver isn't going to be interesting. Tyler Boyd is technically the number one in Cincinnati, and he came out publicly and complained about a lack of targets. Squeaky wheel game, week 12 for Tyler Boyd. You would have thought that maybe this last week, though. Sometimes squeaky wheel narrative comes to fruition. I'm not real hopeful. If he wasn't going to produce against the Raiders, then when? And, and and the other thing that you ask yourself, especially, I mean, I'll split the hairs in season. I'm, most of the time, I actually think this is a subterfuge, this train of thought in season long. I, I like to apply this more in DFS, but I suppose you can still split hairs like this in season long. At the end of the day, I want to look at the ceiling on these players. And I mean, what ceiling does Tyler Boyd realistically have right now? Well, he's not athletic. He's a small sub-athlete on the Bengals. And isn't your upside tied to your quarterback play? Yeah, your upside is tied to your quarterback play and your level of explosiveness. So you can be Noah Fant and take a five-yard drag route, 75 yards for a touchdown. Noah Fant has that in his range of outcomes. I don't think that Tyler Boyd can do that. Yeah, exactly. You can't run you can't run, you know, 4-6 and get that done with a bad quarterback. Maybe Stanley Morgan can. <laughs> you know Stanley Morgan, best comparable player? You know who it is on Player Profiler? Charles Schwab. Anthony Miller. <laughs> what do you think of that? Um, that inspires me because I am a Anthony Miller originalist. If not Stanley Morgan season, then when? <laughs> Probably never, Matt. Auden Tate was carted off. <laughs>
I want to talk about the path for the Tim Patricks and the Stanley Morgans to be relevant. This is what interests me, Byron. But I appreciate your realism, your your cold, <laughs> stark realism. <laughs> Let's go in the other direction. How can you not love Zach Ertz this week? Who else is going to catch passes in Philadelphia? I mean, he did as well as you could possibly imagine with Stephon Gilmore shadowing him in Week 11. He now gets out from under the shadow of Stephon Gilmore, and with Alshon Jeffrey highly questionable, it's the Zach Ertz show. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is what you need for him to kind of return to to full value. Um, I was, I mean, I was at Eagles training camp this summer as well, and I thought Zach Ertz still was very clearly Carson Wentz's. If if all things were even, that he still looked like Carson Wentz's favorite guy, and uh, Ertz obviously a good player. Look, I was of the mindset late season, man that tight end has been such a headache that there was a real buy low window on Zach Ertz there for a couple of weeks. And I, I know people were getting, uh, they were becoming goosey about him. And my, my, my train of thought was, look, even if he's not what you thought he was going to be this season, if you can get your hands on a Zach Ertz and just plug him in every week, the rest of the season, you just let the chips fall where they may. And I think you're going to come out, come up, come out, probably on the good side of things if you do that versus versus status quo and and uh, streaming some shitty uh, waiver wire tight end every week. So yeah, I, I think we're getting the, the late season juice here from Zach Ertz. At the end of the year, he's going to, his numbers are going to be pretty decent. So mathematically there has to be a way that, you know, that we arrive at that here down the stretch. Well, that's a bit of a fallacy Byron, but I'll let you get away with it because Zach Ertz personifies the case to move up for tight end in DFS if I can be assured of eight-plus targets, then I'm getting a competitive advantage on the field by moving up at tight end, especially on DraftKings, which discounts tight ends. So if Zach Ertz is going to deliver wide receiver-level numbers at a discount, and meanwhile others are taking zeros from their tight end, that is necessarily a competitive advantage on the field to play a Zach Ertz each and every week in DFS. I, I'm with you, man. Because what are you going to do? You got to move down to Mike Gusecki? Oh, God. Mike Gusecki plays the Browns. Could he be this week's Noah Fant? He's explosive. I don't think so, man. I think you got to be continue to just be dialed in on Ryan Griffin if that's the path you're attempting to take. Ryan Griffin was a dominant tight end at Connecticut. I touted Ryan Griffin on the Action Network pod last week on a constant loop. It became a bit. I kept coming back to Ryan Griffin because the other three analysts – we're mocking my Ryan Griffin in cash position. And guess what happened? Ryan Griffin was the best tight end on the slate that week. Thank you very much. He's good. He's big. He's agile. And he's just has not been afforded the level of respect that his numbers have deserved. He's been productive. It's not like he's coming completely out of nowhere. He was productive when called upon in Houston. Yeah, I just think that Ryan Griffin has been a really sharp play the last couple of weeks on the waiver wire. I mean, we instructed all of our folks last week that if they were in tight end purgatory, that they should strongly consider last week making Ryan Griffin a priority. Because look, I mean, he's got the Chris Herndon role. And think about how excited everybody was about Chris Herndon preseason. Again, I was up, I was up in the Northeast for all those training camps. There's so many density of training camps uh, up that way. So I, I hit Jets while I was up there as well. This summer, and look, Chris Herndon wasn't practicing while I was there. So it was pretty clear, like, Ryan Griffin was a big, 
exciting, athletic, good-looking player. He had chemistry with Darnold, and it's like pretty obvious that if that offense could get going at all, that he'd have a pretty clear-cut role because those wide receivers leave so much to be desired there with the Jets. So I, I just say if you didn't get if if you weren't out on the forefront last week or you still didn't trust it last week to uh, go out on a limb and just pick up Ryan Griffin off your waiver wire to try to put an end to your tight end problems rest of season and all the streaming headaches you've had, I, I would say you're you've got chance at a second life here still available in like ninety percent of leagues. I would I would take a long hard look at Jets tight end Ryan Griffin on the waiver wire this week, Matt. If you had to choose for the rest of the season, Ryan Griffin or Jacob Hollister? Really, really difficult question. Hollister... Mm -hmm. You know I'm known for difficult questions. Yeah, I basically got those guys back-to-back on the sheet this week. Uh, The only guy guy I'm waiting for... I think we're going to get Kittle back in action. If Kittle doesn't come back this week, then in a one-week play, you still got to look at Dwelly in that group. Hollister, man, I, I'd, I'd have to look at the schedules. I'd just look at the schedules, and I would see who's got the better schedule rest of the season, and that's how I would split the hairs on Ryan Griffin and Jacob Hollister. And, and if it's still close there, then I'm buying into Russell Wilson instead of Sam You're Darn. buying Russell Wilson. That is the answer. And Jacob Hollister is explosive. So we have the option of an explosive Will Disley, and that's the direction I'm going. Now, I'll just ask you one question about quarterback. You have a lot of insider information. I have my own bit of insider information. Did you know that the Cowboys were this close, this like this close, so like on the verge of drafting Jeff Driscoll, and they were overridden by Jerry Jones, who was on the phone with Michael Irvin, insisting that they draft Dak Prescott? You know, Matt, sometimes serendipity has it that the best moves you make in life are the ones that you never make. That's right. You know the Cowboy Scouts love Jeff Driscoll. The football gods, they smiled on the Dallas Cowboys. I have heard that rumor before. Isn't that hilarious? It, it was going to happen. What do they say? Don't ring the cliche bell. Better to be lucky than good, Matt? Is that it? No, that's not a cliche. That's just uh, You know what that is? That's just great phrasing and common sense wisdom from my man, Byron Lambert. Who are you truthering for these days? The guy that you're not dropping in Dynasty you want to make a move, you want to pick up a guy, but you just can't drop this player. He's been in the league a couple of years, and you just feel like it's not over. Okay, I got one for you. Maybe I'm a little bit worried about dropping John Ross after what I saw out of the gate this year. Yeah, you like John Ross. I, mean, I think you can make an argument. If they get some fresh blood and quarterback there and A.J. Green gets out of the picture, and John Ross, if that wasn't just a, uh, you know, if that wasn't a mirage, what we saw out of him to begin the season, if he's really putting things together in dynasty that has some viability to it john ross can use john brown as inspiration remember john brown was done that john brown had a chronic hamstring injury that was a derivative of a sickle cell trait that he was born with and that he was never going to get over this problem and that he was out of action for two years we didn't hear from john brown because he was always hurt and he couldn't get over it, and he couldn't get over it, and he couldn't get over it. And then we started to hear, well, he's starting. right? Last year, he's starting to figure it out. And then he ends up in Buffalo, and now he's a top 15 wide receiver in fantasy football. Yeah, I mean, you can't forget John Ross has got a lot of... Um, Very similar players. Hollywood Brown, a lot of... I mean, Deshaun Jackson, I mean, all those kind of players we can reel off. John Brown... The criticism of John Ross has been that, well, 
these chronic knee issues, these these lower leg problems, he'll never get over them. But he can look just to the northeast at what John Brown is doing, and that can be his career path. I just hope that he finds a way to get to warmer weather. These field stretchers, <laughs> all else being equal, they got to tell their agents, put me somewhere warm. I want dome conditions. Hey, I can buy that, man. It's nice to be down here in the warm weather. Keep these muscles nice and loose, man. A deep pass is very difficult to deliver without gusting winds, right? All right, so give me one bold prediction to close out the season. Something crazy that you see shaking out this season. Philip Lindsay is going to be one of the most important players in all of fantasy the rest of the season, Matt. Top 10? Yeah. Philip Lindsay, top 10 running back in fantasy football per Byron Lambert from Roster Watch. Philip Lindsay, top 10 running back in fantasy football per Byron Lambert from Roster Watch. I had to say it that way because I love saying Roster Watch. <laughs> Thanks, man. We did a show. Got under two hours. I'm so hungry. Dude, Alex was right. People need anecdotal evidence as well as just the numbers. You can hit people over the head with numbers, but there's a reason why the interview is such an important part of the combine. Oh my gosh, just an incredibly important part of the combine. Yeah, Kalen Balazs doesn't want to be a football player. And it manifests in his performance. It's a very hard, taxing, and grueling job to be an NFL player. And there's a lot required of you. And, you know, like I said, at the, you've still got to judge these people like, like normal human beings. And you get these guys who have... You know, if you're not smart, if you're lazy, I mean, all those things are problems. If you if you are always getting into trouble, all that kind of stuff is a problem in the NFL. How can you absorb and process information? So, I mean, that's that's everybody is susceptible to those, to those pitfalls, and these players are no different. If you want to give any love to the Roster Watch podcast on Apple Podcasts, that'd be sweet to you, man. Oh, Roster Watch on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, the Roster Watch podcast on Apple Podcasts. Sometimes you have a good answer. Sometimes you have to riff an answer. I was on the Action Network podcast last week, and I didn't look at their show sheet at all. And they go, well, beyond, you know, Lamar Jackson, who do you really want to play in GPPs this week? And I looked, and I was like, just real quick, I went, oh, Josh Allen against Miami on the road. This is amazing. I'm like, I know this is obvious because it's the Dolphins, but Josh Allen, like, this is not one you overthink. Let's go, Josh Allen. This is it. This is the week. The Bills drafted Josh Allen. For this week, if you were a Bills fan, you were looking at this week on the calendar two years ago. This was the week of all weeks. How could you not play him if this is the week? If you're not going to play him this week, never play him. <laughs> Matt, you realize you're speaking with the world's foremost Josh Allen truther. No, I didn't. You know Gollum, the character in Lord of the Rings, and Frodo is sitting with Gandalf and he's lamenting the existence of this Gollum creature. He's frustrated. He's like, why do I have to bring him along? Can't we just get rid of him somehow, Gandalf? And he's like, no, 
he will have a part to play in this story yet. Josh Allen has a part to play in the NFL. It's probably not winning a Super Bowl, but there's a lot of gunslingers out there that put up some pretty big fantasy points and, and deliver some excitement to their teams without necessarily being the most efficient passers ever. Dude, he's a poor man's Lamar Jackson. Whoa. Well, I wasn't ready for that. Well, it's funny. They had that choice, right? My position was they should not have traded up for him. They should have just drafted whoever fell. He could have easily fell to them. They didn't have to trade up. You don't know which teams preferred Josh Rosen to Josh Allen. Let another team fuck up in front of you. There's no reason to light second rounders on fire, ever. You never do that. It's a cardinal sin in the NFL draft is lighting second rounders on fire. And the worst case scenario, you get Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Help, let other people rel- uh, relieve a little bit of the headache for you and just take what falls because you can't narrow it down. I guess from my perspective, I just really think that if the Bills will construct an offense around Josh Allen the way the Ravens have in a similar light, he can be a similar piece for them. Well, isn't the John Brown and Marquise Brown, aren't they similar guys? Yeah, exactly. I think they're doing it. They're missing Mark Andrews. I mean, they got Dawson Knox. I, I do think I do believe they're doing they are doing that. So, yeah, Dawson Knox, bro. Good old Dawson Knox, man. How do you not love Dawson Knox? The poor guy was trapped behind not only A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf. Demarcus Lodge. Dude, I went to that fucking pro day at Ole Miss and I I got roster watch IDs and photos from Lodge, Brown, Metcalf. I have not, you know, you're just, it's a hair on fire situation at those pro days. And me solo trying to get catch up with all those guys. I got fucking Dawson Knox right there under my nose, dude. And the season kicks off. I was like, damn, how did I, how did I not get a roster watch ID from him? didn't wow anybody in the box score in college there was there's reasons why man whether it's the system at iowa whether it's the target competition at mississippi yeah next year if someone's gonna be kittle it's gonna be dawson knox couldn't have drawn it up any better you're welcome you need to think in terms of expanding the pie not like you know fighting over the crumbs we just launched uh, our injury module predicts injuries you know and uh, forecasts has like a fragility rating i have a metric on that so let me grab some water and i'll be ready to go man there were dark days for amari cooper man yes fantasy playoffs for zeke elliott are the bears the rams and the eagles what (laughs) oh shit (laughs) let me grab some water and i'll be ready to go man that was a hell of an introduction i nailed it Gun to head, I have to choose between those two. Matt, I'm pulling the trigger on Calvin Ridley. Byron, put the gun down. Battery's dead on both megaphones. Just a catastrophic fail by the Podfather today. It was wheels up for Ridley big time down the stretch. Wheels up, baby! I'll make up for it by overtouting him now, and then he'll disappoint, and I'll just be fucked every which way. Come on, Byron. Have a take. Hold on. The take is not much. Come on, Byron. Have a take. Hold on. The take is not much. Come on, Byron. Have a take. Hold on. The take is not much. Breaking news. Randall Cobb is not 30. Good for him, man. That is the mind-blowing news of the day. It's also nice that he can go out and execute and throw for 450 yards. Yeah, you just blew my hair back with that one, man. Can Hakeem Bustler be that guy in the future, or is that never going to happen? 
it's hard to imagine that happening. Can you believe some people had him as their number one wide receiver in the draft? No! I mean, how preposterous was that? What happened last week, Tevin? What the hell happened, Byron? Shanna Hannigans? I mean, come on. Yeah, Darius, guys. Everything is lining up. Moon, stars, meteor shower, everything aligning. They want to run on the perimeter. What the fuck? Talent matters, right, Byron? You're welcome. They can't be stopped in space. No one wants those problems, Byron. Let me grab some water and I'll be ready to go, Matt. Is he Scott or Scotty? I've seen Scotty. Scotty. Scotty sounds very fast. That thing's going to shrivel up like a raisin in the sun, man. Anytime Brock Osweiler headlines a list, you know it's good. And by good, I mean bad. That thing's going to shrivel up like a raisin in the sun, man. My face just went in five directions as I said that. The idea of Alex Smith returning to the NFL is cockamamie as hell. This is an enigma wrapped in a riddle. And he seems like a very, very nice, nice young man. He's just a pussy? Very nice, nice young man. Per Byron Lambert on Roto Underworld Radio, O.J. Howard's a pussy. We have no analysis, that's just a sneaky idea. Oh, God, who is? Rip Andy Isabella from their grasp. This is a big, burly monster in store for Alvin Kamara this week. Bigger frame? I don't. I just don't think he's a good player in the NFL. Carry. Yon <gasps> <Jan> Johnson. <sighs> Let me grab some water and I'll be ready to go, Matt. We had Harry, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel. Is that a good top three? That's a hell of a top three, man. We have no analysis. That's just a sneaky idea. Well, Matt, we prefer to call that being ahead of the curve. And the opposite of the Darren McFadden chicken legs. What about Hunter Renfro? Chicken legs? Yes. Yes! Yes! Oh, God. Put me somewhere warm. I want dome conditions. You know I'm known for difficult questions. Boy, that's a tough one. You stumped me on that one a little bit. I'd have to go back and look at some of our uh, dynasty sheets. They're all better at home, baby. Wait, oh, I thought you were going to say a one or like a zero. Oh, God. When a long touchdown happens and you have that guy on your fantasy team, do you not like that? Well, who has a better chance of doing that on any given week, on any given throw, than the most efficient wide receiver in the league? It's actually Andy Isabella. It's a very small sample. Don't repeat this to anybody. Don't say I said it because it's a very small sample. He doesn't qualify for any rankings on playerprofiler.com, but he is the most efficient wide receiver right now. If not Stanley Morgan's season, then when? (laughs) probably never matt you know stanley morgan best comparable player you know who it is on player profiler charles schwab Per Byron Lambert on Roto Underworld Radio, O.J. Howard's a pussy.